Greetings and welcome to the ALS Association Greater Philadelphia Chapter Podcast. I'm your host, Tony Heil, a Director of Communications and Public Policy here at the chapter. And if you've listened to our past 40 plus episodes, you've heard from people with ALS, you've heard from legislators, you've heard from pe- uh, people who have lost a loved one to ALS, board members, staff, uh, lots of a wide range of people, including researchers and neurologists too. And in this podcast, we're finally going to be talking to the head of our organization, or at least our executive director, uh, Jim Pinciotti, who's going to be talking about a wide range of issues. And today is an important day to be doing that because today is Jim's birthday, and he thought the best way to celebrate his birthday was to talk to Tony Heil, and as anyone would. And you can also get me to do a podcast for your birthday um, as a gift, if that's something you want. Uh, you can email me really with your ideas for podcasts or stories or things you'd like to get involved with at Tony at ALSPhiladelphia.org. In all seriousness, today's podcast goes up on Thanksgiving week. And while we would be most thankful if we got rid of ALS for good and we're on our way to other places because we didn't have this disease to deal with anymore, um, we do have a lot of things to be thankful for. And we'd love to hear what you're thankful for as well, uh, whether it's being around family and friends whether it's having some services available that you know weren't there before, or just things you're able to do in your life, like travel and whatnot, um, that you're not letting ALS stop you, whether you're a person living with it or just someone caring for another person with ALS. This month is also also National Caregivers Month. We just finished our annual luncheon, which we'll talk about in a few minutes, and we're really thankful to all the caregivers that are making a big difference and the lives of people with ALS, and even people beyond ALS as well, and it's given us a lot of perspective. Before we talk, uh, Jim has been involved in every single type of event possible here at the chapter. That's his job. And so you can find out about our events, including things that you can still get involved with from 2015, and also starting to get ready for 2016. And you can do that at www.alsphiladelphia.org, and you can get involved with us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, uh, Vine, Pinterest, etc., all at ALS Philadelphia. And of course, subscribe to us on iTunes, the ALS podcast, and leave us a nice review, five stars if possible. If you can manage to do six somehow, do that as well. So, now let's get into our discussion. Uh, Jim, thanks for finally being on the podcast. I know you've been excited to do this. I am excited to do this. I appreciate you finally asking me. Well, I was saving it for your birthday, so happy birthday. Well, thank you, Tony. Thank you very much. Uh, you know, we're looking forward to you celebrating many, many more here at the chapter uh, until we're done, but you know, we like working with you. So um, today, our big focus, because it's Thanksgiving week, is things we're thankful for. You've been here for a couple a couple years. Yeah, about 15. 15 years. Let's see, where was I? So you started in 2000? 2001. 2001. Oh, that's good. That's the actual beginning of the century, the millennium. Yes, right. And everyone thought it was 2000, but really, we didn't go from one to zero to one. It's one to one. and, that, and I had to get past the Y2K stuff, and then I'm right. here. Uh, so, But you've been involved before that. Yeah, I was actually on the board of directors for four years before I joined the staff, mm-hmm. and I was a, I've been a volunteer, or was a volunteer, uh, with the organization starting in 1993. Mm-hmm. Let's see, where was I in 1993? Stop it. I was, I had just started eighth grade. There you go. <laughs> so what, but so a lot's changed in that 20 plus years. And, you know, both in terms of when you were volunteering and on the board and before you started. So, you know, let's, we're talking about things we're grateful for. We're thankful that the chapter has been able to grow. 
what were some of the positive changes you saw even before you started here? Uh, it, it, it has been a, uh, a wonderful and exciting ride uh, for the 20 plus years. Things have changed dramatically in, in many aspects. Uh, I think some of the things that I'm, I'm most thankful for um, are, are the people that I've gotten to know. We have some of the most amazing volunteers that help us in every aspect of what we do. Um, some of them I've known since the early 90s mm -hmm. uh, and, and are still with us, uh, volunteering and helping us. Um, we have a, uh, a splendid staff. Uh, one of the things that I am most thankful for and most proud of is the, the professional staff, the staff that we have here working every day to bring help and hope to our families and, and people living with ALS. And, and the thing that I think I'm most happy about is I can take no credit for it. These people are just wonderful people. They are good people. They, they are dedicated and, and committed and passionate about helping people living with ALS. We all are of the same mind. We are focused on our mission and want nothing more than a therapy and a cure. That being said, uh, we've changed a lot mm -hmm. in 20 years. Uh, we had a very, uh, very, very small staff when I first started. Um, we still don't have a very large staff. We have about 30 people. And people don't realize that most of that 30 people is actually patient services. Yeah, 17 of the 30 are, are patient services professionals. So Yeah, I, I actually was, I, I forgot to tell you this, but I was talking to an inquiry reporter this week because I wanted to talk about caregivers. And most people think that we just do either research or just awareness and they think we're good. But then I tell them, oh, you know, over half our staff is patient services and they're blown away that we do that. You know, it, it's interesting. I, I had a, a personal experience a, a few years ago. I had a, a relative, a very, a very dear aunt of mine, who was suffering with not ALS, with something else. And I called the organization that, that uh, was, uh, uh, was responsible for that disease, that helped with that disease. And I asked about the services they provided, and they didn't. Mm -hmm. And I was shocked because my knowledge, my experience is here. Right. And uh, the, the fact that uh, we are really, in many ways, unique in that we provide care and we provide professional, uh, m medical professionals, nurses and social workers and assistive technologists to our families is, is not common uh, amongst other disease organizations. Uh, that's not to disparage anybody else, but it's to say that what we do is, is really uh, important. And, and again, coming back to the theme we started with, I am so thankful we're able to do that. It's hard to get to that level of, um, to, to get to that level where you can do that too. You can't just up and say, oh, we're going we're gonna to do research and patient services and then have Ellen in the 1980s with Jeff Abrams and Ben Orenstein. I mean, love them both, but I can't imagine Ben Orenstein providing, like, nursing care like it's not his expertise probably but you know it's amazing that that's grown and, and always been the perspective of doing all three of the silos that we do it, it, it is and and it's and it's so important that that we have that what I call three-legged stool because they are so interrelated uh, not not to mince words but 
they really are not silos. They really cannot be separated because you can't do research if you don't have the patients involved in them. You can't really provide patient services if you aren't working toward a cure. And, and none of that can happen if you're not advocating. And, and it goes beyond just public policy. Mm -hmm. That's when, when we talk about advocacy internally and externally, people always think about, oh, we're going to D.C., we're going to Harrisburg, Trenton, Dover. Uh, and, and that's all important. But the advocacy effort that we put forth uh, comes from every department, comes from every resource, and goes in every direction. We advocate with, with hospice organizations. We advocate with insurance companies. We advocate with anybody who has the interface with our patients and families that need to understand what is important and what is necessary to keep quality of life, to keep the uh, medical services, all of those things. So the advocacy part can't be divorced from the research, and the research can't be divorced from the patient services right. and, and so forth. So it really is one big, complete mission that is completely interdependent, and it, 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 is, it, is, uh, it is complicated, complex, and beautiful all at the same time. And like you said, you've been involved for 20 years, and maybe not at that same level, obviously, for 20 years, but... Um, has it always been that same dynamic of trying to do all three well? And obviously it's grown a lot because, you know, D.C., there used to be a few dozen people maybe that would go down total from the country. And, you know, there weren't as many chapters 20 years ago. There there was obviously wasn't as many staff. So um, how's that relation, the interplay been? The, 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 the core has been there for my entire involvement mm -hmm. with the organization. Uh, but the way that we... Uh, perform it, the way that it happens, the way that it's orchestrated has changed dramatically. Uh, you talk about what's happened with the advocacy with public policy in D.C. Look what, what has been accomplished, and, and I'm not going to give you too many compliments because you don't need them, mm -hmm. but uh, look what's been accomplished with state advocacy just in the last five years. We now have a line item in the Pennsylvania state budget. We now have funding from the state of Delaware. We now have some funding through a, a tax checkoff box in the state of New Jersey. Five, six, seven years ago, we had none of that. It was it was an aspiration, and we've accomplished that. And we've We're built not relationships. Safe. As part of what advocacy is, is building those relationships. And the relationships not just with the chapter. The most important thing, I think, that we found is it's relationships between anyone of power, whether it's political or sponsors or whatnot, it's really neat to see the relationships they have with the patient families. That starts right from the instant. You know, Tony, it's, it's one of the things that uh, I guess intrigues me the most. We'll, we'll get involved with someone, and, and you mentioned sponsors, we'll get involved with someone for a business purpose, uh, and they'll meet one of our patients mm -hmm. or one of our families. And all of a sudden, the business part of it it diminishes. I mean, it's still there. It has to be, but it diminishes. And they become very passionate about helping because they see that what they do is making a difference. And it's, uh, it, it just is a real uh, feel-good thing to, to see people become involved and enveloped in this, in this whole process because of the people they get to know. Yeah, I was just thinking in my head about Dan Croce from Acme 
we did the corporate recruitment breakfast for the Walk to Defeat ALS, and you can still donate to that, www.greaterphiladelphiawalktodefeatals.org. Um, but he spoke, there was a patient that spoke, and he wanted to meet her, he wanted to interact with her, he wanted to learn more, he obviously came to the walk, but he didn't just write a check and tell people to write a check. Like, it was a difference than just money. Exactly. It, it, it becomes a, a uh, an important thing beyond the feel good of doing good. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it really is a, it's a powerful, it's a powerful and empowering part of this job and, and part of what we do with our folks uh, to help empower them to make uh, them feel better. So was that what your connection ended up being? Because you obviously didn't have a family connection, but was that the same feeling for you from the start? Yes, and I'll, and I'll, and I'll fra- uh, frame it this way. Uh, I, I spent 30 years in the grocery business, uh, mm-hmm. retail and wholesale. And the reason I got involved with the ALS Association is because my boss at the time, and my, he was my mentor, his sister had ALS. And he asked me to help the ALS Association run a golf outing. And that's how I got involved. And I remember when I joined the staff, uh, people would ask me, do you have a family uh, involvement with ALS? And my response was always, no, I really don't know anybody personally with ALS, but I'm, I'm very uh, committed to the mission. And I can remember the day that I started to say that to someone and I had to stop and said, not only do I know someone personally, I know hundreds of people mm-hmm. very personally right. with ALS. So while it's not in my family, it's, it's, it's in me. Yeah, I, I, I was talking to someone recently about my connection. My grandfather had ALS. Part of the reason when I saw the, app, the job posting for this, I was like, it's just written for it. So can Tony Heil apply here? But, um, and, it, and for me, I'd want to be somewhere where I cared, whether it's this or other diseases in my family because there's way too many. Um, but now I care more about the people who I know because my grandfather lived a full life. And not that I didn't want him to have ALS. Of course, I wish he didn't. But, um, you know, seeing people who we know and become close to, that becomes a much deeper connection. It really does. It really does. Um, you know, we, we talk about the, the, the relationships we build and the connections we have. One of the things that I, I can't... Uh, let this go on without talking about is our relationship with the Philadelphia Phillies. Mm-hmm. Um, that is something that is uh, almost beyond description. The commitment, the the the, the passion, the the relationship that we have between the ALS Association and the Phillies, and more importantly, the personal relationships between individuals here and individuals within that organization. Um, defies description. Uh, they, we have been their principal charity since 1984. Uh, most people probably listening to this know the story, so I won't go into that, but what I'll tell you is their commitment to our families, their commitment to what we do, to bringing help and hope, is as strong as any commitment of any individual who works here, who is living with ALS, and and I am eternally grateful and so thankful for the opportunity to experience that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's very personal. 
I appreciate what it what it does for our organization and how it helps us because I'll tell you what it, it is just it, it's mind-boggling how much money they've raised 16 million dollars they've raised for this organization since 1984 but beyond that it's a very personal thing because the relationship goes so much beyond that yeah I'll I, mean, I hope it's alright to talk about past player because this had happened yesterday um, the Phillies posted that it was Ryan Howard's birthday, so I post a picture of Ryan Howard saying thank you for your support of ALS. And Shane Victorino favorites it because he cares still after going to another team. And then I know, like like you said, it, even when it comes to our sponsors, when they come and they meet a family, it becomes a much more personal thing. Our annual luncheon, you see uh, John Weber, you see Tony Burns, you see others who are so connected. Uh, again, I see Tony Burns personally on Facebook. When we raise money, he puts an excited thing up. Like, he's excited about it. And they have so many things to be excited about, but they single this out as something that's obviously very meaningful for them beyond just, yeah, we do charity work. It's good. Yeah. And they do. They do a lot of charity yeah. work. Yeah. But they're committed. More than people realize. Yeah. I, I, I've talked about this with folks. I actually wrote an editorial one time to the Inquirer saying, that the Phillies need to do a better job of promoting how good people they really are. Of course, they're too uh, modest mm -hmm. to do that, but they really are a, a wonderful organization, top to bottom. Yeah, it's. I mean, I I know all sorts of things that they've done on the side that we didn't even hear about sometimes that they did for a patient family or some other person in need. You know, I I'm, and you're just like, aren't you going to take any credit for this? And they don't. <laughs> no. So we have a lot to be thankful for in terms of those sponsors, in terms of um, some of those other people that go above and beyond. We had a call today with uh, some of our people from the Hershey Medical Center, and that's really cool to me. So I'm really thankful for the work that the clinics are doing. My grandfather, when he went, I don't think they were as in tune with what existed with the ALS Association at that time. Um, but when I hear about what the professionals are doing, at all of the clinics, not just here, but at other chapters, you know, it makes me feel really grateful to work for them. So what's your relationship been with the clinics since you started? Oh, it, it's... Or neurologists in general, like all those people. It, it, it's been it's been an education for me. Uh, every day. Every, every day. I, I learn more. Uh, I learn more and more. The, the, the format that has been developed by the ALS Association for multidisciplinary clinics is uh, is no longer unique. A lot of disease or disease uh, have have taken adopted that kind of format because they see how well it works. To be able to go into one appointment and have 12 different specialists be able to take you from from one one part of the of the disease process to the other part and 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 not have to make 12 separate appointments has been a uh, is a godsend talk to any of our patients and is it i mean we'll talk about other that in a minute but isn't it kind of cool when you see that other good organizations take some of the ideas that work here whether it's a fundraising component or the patient care component because you're like well i want them to do well too whether it's another disease or other chapters it's kind of neat like oh good this is working for everyone you know, Tony, you've heard me say this, and, and probably I say it too often, but I, I wish everybody would donate to the ALS Association. I wish everybody would work to eradicate this disease because that's where my passion lies. But the truth of the matter is there isn't a single good disease in the world. Mm -hmm. And anything that helps eradicate a disease, anything that helps bring 
some relief to the people who are suffering. If, if learning from the ALS Association that a multidisciplinary clinic is a good way of, of treating a disease, then that's great. And, and, that, and that's something that I have always uh, believed in. Uh, best demonstrated practices is, is the, the, the buzzword. Uh, I'll, I'll call it stealing good ideas because I think it's the way things should be done. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking up this meme online where this taco commercial. Have you ever seen this where this uh, they're trying to decide whether they have soft shell or hard shell taco, and the little girl goes, why not both? <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know whether to donate to the ALS Association or do this. I'm like, why not both? Why not both? Uh, so, but you're talking about the... It's been well with the clinics. Um, we were talking to Dr. Simmons and Sue Walsh from the Hershey Clinic, and it's always really great to me. I don't think people realize how personal it is for all of them. They've been working at this for as long as you have, and it's not just a job of, well, I'm a neurologist. Tony, one, one of the things that um, is, is almost uh, is difficult to describe is everybody we deal with, almost without exception, whether it's at the clinics or whether it's a, in, in the relationships we've built in, in Harrisburg, uh, really get it, mm -hmm. really understand it. And it's not, it's not a job. It's, it's a mission. It's a, it's a commitment. It's, it's what we do. Um, it, it is, uh, it is the one more thing. That, that you have to be thankful for. The, the, the passion, the sense of urgency mm -hmm. that, that we have within the chapter, within our chapter network, and, 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 and the circles keep getting bigger and bigger. And, uh, you know, we have some, um, some partnerships we've built with companies uh, that, that they're as passionate about the fight against ALS as they are about everything else they do. Mm -hmm. And I, I find that to be uh, mind-blowing. Yeah, I was talking to someone um, this week about what makes ALS different, because every disease is so different, and the urgency and severity of it kind of stands out. And I think part of it, what makes people do it, is obviously the personal connection, but there's so many ways you can make an immediate impact. With some diseases, there's, you know, it's longer term, or it's harder to see, but you know, someone needs a wheelchair, they need a wheelchair. Like, you need that fast, and you can see a fast result. So I'm sure you've seen a lot of people, like, realize quickly that their money or their time made a difference. Uh, someone that I knew from uh, from my previous life in the grocery store. Which was business, a long time ago. It was one. a long time ago. Uh, got involved, is, is still involved with our organization uh, as a, a volunteer and a donor. But I remember hearing him talk to somebody, it's got to be 15, 18 years ago, and they said to him, why are you involved with that charity? And he said, because I can see that when I get in, what I do, what I donate, what I volunteer, I can see the result. Mm -hmm. I know that the organization uses the money carefully and prudently and does good work, and I can see that my volunteer efforts help directly help people at a moment when they need it. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's become a, a tremendous uh, advocate for us. He's been a, he's been a, con a tremendous resource 
because he, he feels that way. He feels that passionately about about what we do. Mm-hmm. And we're we're always finding ways. I know that reminds me. Gail Houseman's got the visiting volunteer program, which we keep wanting to do on this podcast, but our schedules keep messing up because she's always so busy, and or I'm busy. Um, but it's like, well, here's another way you can help that didn't exist and probably doesn't exist at other groups. So we're always finding a way that people can do more. One of the questions that we constantly ask, uh, not because we can't answer it, but because the answer keeps growing, keeps changing, is what else can we do? What else needs to be done? That's where the whole concept of visiting volunteers came from. Mm-hmm. We were talking about what else, what, what, how, can, how else can we provide help? And one of the things that was uh, was talked about was just companionship. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have staff resources to be able to go in and provide strict, just compassion, mm-hmm. compassionate uh, companionship. Um, but we have a lot of volunteers. Mm-hmm. Well, would, wouldn't that be a good idea? And it grew into this volunteer, a visiting volunteer program that has just been uh, marvelous. You know, one you mentioned, Gail. I don't know how she does it, but when she makes matches between patients and and volunteers, they're they're amazing. Mm-hmm. She she should be you know she should form her own match dot com. Yeah, maybe we'll call it something <laughs> different. <laughs> I don't know if she wants to be in charge of match dot com necessarily, but um, we have seen that those neurologists have and others have made a big difference in research. Twenty years ago, we knew a lot less. I remember we, we talked about. Um, that you know there was a human genome project going on when you first started here and now you can get your own on your phone i don't know what you're going to do with it but you can get it (laughs) um but so you've seen a lot of progress not enough it's never enough until we're done but you know what have you seen locally i think i think one of the one of the biggest changes that is that has occurred one of the biggest uh, sources of progress that i've seen over the last many years, is is the number of people, number of very very brilliant researchers that are getting involved in ALS research. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I first started, there were a, a small cohort of folks that were were focused on ALS. Um, there were very few projects out there, um, and and because of of technology changes. Mm-hmm. Uh, because of funding changes, uh, because of the availability of the human genome mapping, uh, all of a sudden there are many, many new ALS researchers out there doing very, very exciting projects. Uh, the ALS Association, I, I don't remember the exact number, but I believe in our last uh, call for uh, research uh, grants that pe- people put in their, their requests, their projects, it was hundreds, mm-hmm. hundreds of, of proposals were written. And all different things. For, yes, all from all different aspects. You know, in, in just the last six or seven years, I, there have been six new uh, gene mutations identified that are responsible for ALS. Mm-hmm. Up until that time, there was one. Right. SOD1. And that was the, that was the, only one that was identified, and, and that was where all the research was focused. And now there are so many more, and and some really important studies are being done. Um, the other thing that I've seen in, in this time is the increase in awareness, and it comes from a lot of different areas. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, it comes from hard work, and I will 
take uh, credit from the ALS Association perspective uh, of trying to uh, increase that awareness. But it also comes from the, from the Internet. I mean, you know, when I first started, there wasn't a whole lot of searching going on and there wasn't a whole lot of information on the Internet about ALS. And now that's where a lot of the information comes to people who are, are, are trying to figure out what's going on. Right. The second thing, and, and we're all very familiar with the ice bucket challenge, uh, the, the amount of awareness the amount of, of knowledge that was gained by the ice bucket challenge, the, the amount of people that now know a little bit about ALS. Um, well, I would tell you that there's more knowledge about ALS now or more awareness of ALS now than there has been since Lou Gehrig gave his speech on July 4th. And probably more than, I mean, because when he did that, people still didn't know what he was talking about. And they didn't know what happened to him afterwards. No. And so there's more understanding now, but... Um, but they still don't know what the disease is, and it's still incumbent on us to do that. And you also have Steve Gleason, who for a while before the Xbox Challenge was talking about that. Um, so we have to, we're thankful for the increased awareness, but there's a double-edged sword of it because, you know, we're we're glad that more people are aware of our services, but we've seen a large influx of new people coming to the ALS Association at all chapters, and it's always unsure to me how to feel about that. Like I'm glad that they're coming to us because they, we want them to get care. On the other hand, I don't want more people to have ALS. Well, yes. However, I'll tell you, Tony, that I, I don't think it, more people have ALS. Right. You just don't want to hear about anyone. It's like I wish, I wish, I wish no one had it, but I wish everyone who is who is living with ALS had the resources, right. took advantage of the resources, knew about us, and, and I think that that's one of the one of the advantages, one of the positives that comes from this awareness. Yeah, I was just talking to Brenda, our director of patient services, in the hallway. And I was like, "Did you hear about this person?" who lives locally. She's like, I don't, do we know that person? I'm going to find out about that person. She's like, I'm really busy, but if they have, if they need a help, I'm going to help them. And it was just like, that's how she is. And I know that that's how other people at her level are at other chapters. That's a culture that's kind of grown up in this organization, largely from this chapter to start with, because we were one of the earlier chapters and we're, you know, not against other chapters, but we've helped to kind of seed that, I guess you could say. I, I will tell you that, that the, the, what we were talking about earlier, the passion, the commitment, the dedication, the sense of urgency is pervasive amongst everyone mm -hmm. in the ALS Association nationwide. Uh, I, 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 get the, I have the privilege of, of meeting with uh, my, my peers a couple times a year, and what, the, 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 the passion is palpable. Uh, sure, we get into discussions about how can we do this and how can we do that, but it's all about how can we provide help and hope. And uh, what else am I thankful for? I'm thankful for all of the chapters and all of the chapter associates and all of the people throughout this country who are focused on, passionate about helping people living with ALS and, and searching for a cure. Yeah, I, I, you know, it makes me realize some of the things going on this week, both good and bad, and it seems, it seems in a lot of ways more bad than good uh, going on in the world sometimes. But people have a choice of what they can do. You know, they can do some, they can join things that are bad, they can join causes that are good and help others, and or they can accept people and do this and that. Um, but they're going to join an organization based on its culture. 
And, you know, Ellen and Ben and Jeff and others started this 30 plus years ago in the Phillies too. And that culture kind of was starting there, you know, over three decades ago. And now at any of these chapters, you know, if God forbid Merritt, who we love, wasn't going to be the executive director in Western PA chapter. Let's say she won the lottery. That's why she was leaving. That's right. Um, and gave half to the Ale Association. Well, it depends on how much they want. <laughs> but so, like, so she says, if she were going to hire someone to do something there, that culture would be important to her in terms of who to hire, and vice versa for really anywhere in the organization, as far as I can tell now. You know this, uh, but one of the things that that is important to me, because it's important to the organization, is that anyone who works here, no matter what their position, understands our mission and keeps that first and foremost in their minds. Uh, we get, you know, in any in any enterprise, lots of stuff happens, lots of stuff comes up uh, that can divert you, that can that can take your attention. But the thing that I am so pleased about and thankful for is that all of us, both staff as well as our uh, board and, and everybody involved in this enterprise remembers that all our all of our focus is on our mission and when we get into a discussion someone in that discussion will say how does it affect our patient families mm-hmm. how does it affect our mission i will tell you that throughout my life i've been in very many different organizations that that have very well-written mission statements, but that isn't what governs or guides their culture. Mm-hmm. The thing that guides our culture is our mission, is our is our passion for our patients and our families. And um, for that, there, there, there's nothing better. And I feel thankful for the fact that even when people move on from here to other positions or other organizations, even if they're here and they're getting involved in those things, like me with um, doing my political work on the side for my borough, uh, they take that culture with them. Like no one's leaving here really to go work for bad. Not that there's bad. You know, they're 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 going on taking that culture and saying you should this worked here in a, in a good way. Not just like in terms of mechanics, but this is a culture you should have. And it's kind of spreading that. You know, that, that's a really exciting thing to me. Also, how many other people come back to volunteer in some way? Isn't it? Isn't that interesting? How many people that move on to other th- other uh, aspirations uh, that, that that they still stay with us and still volunteer for us? It's uh, it's it's a pretty pretty motivating thing. Yeah, uh, but we do have some people that have been here from the start, like Ellen and Dale Scheimer has been here for forever, and Jeff Abrams and what what the how how's that help? Because you started here, and there are a lot of people that had been here for a while, so you didn't have to start totally fresh. You know, you had a lot of people. Was it an easy transition because there were a lot of support from the start? For me, it was a, it was, it was an easy transition. Uh, but remember, I was on the board for four years, so I, 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 didn't, I didn't enter the conversation in the middle. Right. You That's know, right. I kind of had the, I had the, 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 the lead in. Um, it, it's, it's very different understanding that I came from a for-profit organization uh, was focused on, you know, very different things uh, than, than we're focused on here. Um, and people 
cautioned me, oh, Jim, you're going to find that it's very different working in a not-for-profit. Uh, I guess that it is, but the difference really is, is, is not what they were alluding to. The difference is the, the passion of the people, the, the commitment of the people that, that work with us and for us. Um, and it, it has been a, uh, it, it's been a marvelous, marvelous uh, experience for me. I, I've gotten much more out of it than I've given. Yeah, and that comes down to a level that you wouldn't see in the grocery business because there are good people there, but you're probably not going to get the people at the lowest rung, not to say anyone's mm-hmm. low, but, you know, who, who are younger or newer who are going to be sharing about how great their company is in the same way that, you know, the people who work in IT here who are in the back scenes volunteer at our events. They share about how much they liked the event or such for so they care about it. And they share news that way too. That's a really cool thing to me too is that no one's, there's no part of our organization that's separate from the rest, even when it comes to the, the, the networking part of it, the computer networking part of it. Yeah. Now we're we're all we're all focused on 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 the same thing, and we all understand we're a small organization, so we know each other. You know, we know what each other does, and and and, and how it, everything. As we started this conversation, everything is interrelated. Mm-hmm. None of this can stand alone. We can't do what we do without the IT system. We can't do what we do without the patient service people. Um, but you've so. seen some places where there's a lot more infighting and that exists. I've worked in some of those places. Well, yes. <laughs> but, and I think that's, again, a cultural thing that you want people to take from here to other places. Like if you have a good goal, work towards that goal. They're like, I, we talked about like, oh, well, the major gifts should come from here and that we, we should get that and the walk should come from this and we should get this from that. And I'm always saying we need to raise money for the ALS, like to beat ALS. Like I don't care if we raised a million dollars and it came from a walk. Great. If we raised a million dollars because it came from one gift. Great. Like we raised a million dollars or let's raise $2 million. Let's raise $10 million. Let's just keep raising as much money as possible. But I mean, in terms of if one day we raise a million dollars, I don't care where it came from as long as it, I not, neither do I. Well, yeah, <laughs> I would be really surprised if we did, but, but I think everyone kind of shares that more and more as we work together. Yeah, the 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 longevity you, you you mentioned several of the board members the 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 tenure of the staff is also pretty long. Uh, there, you know, I've been here 15 years, and I'm not the longest term associate in in the in the organization. We right. have people here have been here almost 20 years. Sue Walsh, she's been here 20 years. Elisa Brownlee's been here for a long time. Joan, forever. Joan Borowski, you volunteered with Joan. And I you did. stayed. I did. I did. Because of Joan. Right. Everyone stays because of Joan. Uh, but the one thing that is, uh, I think, the heart, the the easiest part that we've said to work here is the connection to the disease and, and the cause. The hardest part is the disease and the cause. We, we work somewhere where we see people, names of people who are deceased every day. And that's a hard thing to deal with. But it's still easier for people to come into work in a way. How do you make it? How do you make sure that people can get past that very hard burden of ALS? When I first thought about uh, applying for this job, I had a conversation with my wife, and she asked me uh, one question. She said, "Are you going to be able to handle it?" Um, and, and I said, "Yes." I said, well, "You need to be. You need to understand that our job." is to bring help and hope. Mm-hmm. Our job is unfortunately not to make people better. We can't do that yet. But if you come in here expecting you're going to 
keep people from dying, then you're going to fail and you're going to be upset. If you come in here and know that what you're doing is you're bringing good things, you're, you're improving someone's quality of life, you're helping people through a journey that they're going to take with you or without you, but you're making it a better journey, then those dark days, those sad days, they're still sad, mm-hmm. but they're not debilitating. Right. And, and I think that we all need to keep that, that perspective that, that no one knows what, what tomorrow is going to bring. No one knows what the next hour is going to bring. But if we can face uh, each day, each moment uh, with, with the outlook that I'm going to make things just a little bit better, mm-hmm. then, then every day is a success. Yeah. Every day is a success. You know, there's um, people talk about, you know, they're dying from ALS, so they appreciate things more. And now we know a lot of people who are dying from ALS. And I think it's changed my perspective in terms of how I appreciate those close to me and people who aren't close to me. You know, in terms of how I react to people and stay level-headed, does that has does the disease itself impacted your perspective on all sorts of things in that way? It has given it has given me and I think everybody a, a tremendous perspective. Um, somebody said to me one time, uh, we were t- we were having a conversation, and I said, "Well, that's really not that bad a thing." Whatever we were talking about, and they said to me, "Well, unless it's ALS, it's not a bad thing." Mm-hmm. And I said, well, yeah, everything else, you know, I, 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 it gives me perspective. I can look at the world and say, I just want today to be a little bit better than yesterday. And I want to make every effort to make tomorrow a little bit better than today. Yeah. And if, if I can do that for myself, that's a good thing. If I can help do that for others, it's a great thing. Yeah. So... I saw one of our patient friends had written something on Facebook, and he was talking about pancreatic cancer, which is a very fast killer. Mm-hmm. And he said, I'm glad that I have ALS and not pancreatic cancer. And I thought, you know, if he can think that, then what am I going to complain about? Right. I mean, I can complain about some things. We're going to, I have to move my car because I'm going to pave on my street. But it's a very minor <laughs> thing in comparison to all this other stuff. Exactly. So exactly. we're thankful for the people we get to work with and the neurologists and the, and the patient families that we get to interact with. And we're also thankful for the perspective that we get. Um, so one last thing that's important. Today's your birthday. Are you going to celebrate in any good way? I am going to celebrate in a great way. I'm going to go out to dinner with my wife and uh, talk to my two sons. And uh, that's really all I need to do. Well, that's all I'd like to do. I'm going to I'm going to be celebrating my two sons and my wife in a few weeks. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Um, so well, thanks for doing the podcast again. You can find out how to get involved. Um, at www.alsphiladelphia.org uh, and follow us on social media all at ALS Philadelphia. Of course, if you're finding us on iTunes, which I hope you did, uh, subscribe and leave us a five-star review and, and leave some comments. It helps us get more visibility. So thanks for listening to the podcast and thanks to Jim. Thanks, Tony.